Hi again. This is me, Naziati Muhammad Yaqub, your podcast host for Talk Architecture. Um, I'm going to go into the topic of um, designing with disability in mind. Um, design thinking ideas, part two. Um, and although it is relatively easy uh, to find more articles that deal with accessibility in the digital world compared to um, articles based on physical disability or um, built environment. I would use these articles. I would use these articles because they are fresh and uh, we cannot deny that this designing with accessibility in mind um, it's important regardless of whether it's digital or physical. And the, the issue of physical accessibility is also being addressed in this particular article as well. So I will be reading some quotes uh, from this interview that uh, they conducted. Um, they mean, meaning tech crunch. Um, they conducted with a few people they have invited, and you can read up this article with the video and the conversation that they had in the article. So I'm going to put it there in the caption below for you to access. To continue the discussion that I started in January, which is six days ago, um, in that particular article, article, uh, sorry, podcast, I did refer to another article from edo.org on design thinking um, and linking to disability. So this time I'm following part two with another article, as I mentioned, tech, techcrunch.com. And um, so there are two points here that... Um, that uh, they object objectifies. One is they examine the importance of ensuring products are designed to be accessible from the beginning. Um, so it's not just the product, but the designing of it. They include including how they say they would build the expertise um, of disabled technologists and advocates into the DNA of the company building these products from the start, which is part of the processes and is vital not only to produce better products, but also in the pursuit of a functioning and more equitable society. So that was this idea of um, not leaving out disabled person in the process of building the product. They define accessibility um, because it's necessary. Um, so, so this means that um, making products that everybody can use is a simple one, but from a company building point of view, it's important to think about the accessibility from an internal tooling and processes pr perspective. So they argue that it's not enough to have accessible products for your users if the software tools or ways of working at your startup exclude people with dis various disabilities it is infinitely harder to design accessible products anyway. 
as prospective or existing employees with disabilities will be prohi- prohibited from doing their best work. Um, they see that as, as something necessary if you want to have accessibility uh, in your product to have persons with disabilities involved in the process. So, so a disability is not an umbrella category and what works for one group may not work for another. And they also say that, in fact, some accessibility features or culture and process changes might even be inaccessible to a specific group. And in this sense, there is, isn't a quick technological fix and you're done. So we find this, I would like to interject on this, at this point that I find this very true. And as a disability advocate, um, who happen to be teaching architecture and also being involved with a bit of activism, I find that I I do I do leave out some categories. I try to include. I've been consciously including uh, those with sensory impairments, such as blind persons or deaf persons. Um, but the way I include it is. It's not really, um, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, knowledgeable, much knowledgeable than it should be. You know, it, it should be much more, uh, I should do more reading, more understanding. So I would never replace someone who is sensory impaired, although myself, I do have a vision impairment on one right eye, and I do appreciate natural light more than ever to do some work and reading. So um, this this sensitivity um, is, you know, the the sense of of urgency or uh, putting a priorities to certain things to happen only can happen, only could come from the person experiencing it. To really, I wouldn't know for what a learning disabled person would need as much as what I could read about it. I read around it, but uh, I learn more and more when I I read about some Instagram um, Instagram posters who have intellectual disabilities and and. You know, it ceases to amaze that we can't really talk on behalf of anyone else, really. So if a company can include as many disabled persons as possible, that would really resolve a lot of things. Um, I mean, but to, to agree to disagree, no, to agree with each other on the solution, it is a task. Um is working together and coming up with the best solution possible. It is a big task. So um, one definition of accessibility by Mahdi Pali, it's just a simple way of designing products and services to make sure that anybody can use them regardless of disability. That's a very simple level. Of course, there are nuances to that. And to what specific things one needs to do in order to achieve that. But at its most ba- basic, 
is just making sure that we design things that everybody can use. And then we have Bennett mentioning that accessibility is not just about making sure the products that leave the door are accessible, but also the tools and the processes and the cultures are accessible. So the working culture is what she meant as well, I think. Uh, so if the products are accessible, then are the tools used to create those products able to be used by everyone? It feels like a very safe environment to be working, you know, uh, being counted in what you say is um, not an agenda, perceived as an agenda or perceived as, as something that... Um, you would want personally other than the fact that you, you you are thinking on behalf of a certain group of persons with disabilities. Someone named Mill said that it's important to remember that access technologies are not inherently accessible themselves, um, whether we're talking about software or a physical ramp. Yeah, having a ramp, I can relate to that. Just having a ramp doesn't mean that it is accessible. And that is similar to what he's saying in terms of the excess technologies. I hope I'm saying the gender right, but um, sorry, it's uh, she. Mills is she. Um, so, so she said, as Mills said, that uh, they have to be affordable as well and they have to be discoverable. And people need to know that they exist and they often require training to use. They have to be employed in welcoming settings. The culture has to be there too. So disability is an umbrella category and it's really internally diverse. And we sometimes see access efforts that work for one group, create new forms of inaccessibility for other groups. Yeah, that's, uh, I find that in some, in, in a tactile guide that works really are the one that has, um, the proper way of, of um, the dome shape um, tactile has to be a certain height for it to really work. But when you use a um, a trolley for an older person will be pushing that trolley to go shopping, a small kind of wheel and they get caught in it. So this is what she means. It's really internally diverse. Yeah. So, um, for example, video conferencing, when certain tools like Zoom work for certain groups and then they don't really work that well for the deaf and hard of hearing people or they haven't before automated captioning became available. So, so you know, these are the things that we're just keeping in mind, the diversity of disability and the diversity of access needs. It's always interesting to learn about digital accessibility um, when you're from the physical accessibility perspective uh, and that communicate, communicating um, and the new ways of communicating when we use a lot of video conferencing, there are all these mountains to climb for some people. Uh, that's why people feel better doing face-to-face. And there are some social media that is not really um, preferred by blind persons, for example. Um, And um, 
not because it's not text-based, there were images as well, but because it's very fast or very difficult to negotiate, Facebook is the go-to social media platform in a sense that it has been a long uh it has been around a long time and and um although for younger groups they're not really keen on the Facebook but Facebook um the way they um negotiate Facebook is much more um accessible for blind users so in this article they do mention about medical and social models as much as we would talk about advocating for physical access entrepreneurs like to fix problems they're wired that way but what is the problem you're trying to solve and this is where it's useful to take time to understand different models of disability namely the medical versus social models so it's interesting they brought this subject as well brought this up because this is a crucial subject the social model which has overwhelmingly been adopted by disabled people themselves says that a person isn't made disabled by their medical impairment alone but by the way society is often arranged including how the world is designed but also the societal attitude attitudes toward people with disabilities and the barriers to inclusion this creates this means that disability is everybody's problem and that the solution is to fix society not the individual so mill said that disability activists in the 70s were pushing back against what you just said they're pushing back against this dominant medicalized perception of disability that they call the medical model which imagines disability only as a so-called defect or a disorder something that requires a cure according to the social model of disability the intervention required is not medical and is not individual it's a matter of social justice so things like new architecture new designs new laws new software So the question begs what's the right time to begin thinking about accessibility if you're a founder or product team aiming to bring a new product or service into the world hopefully by now you're already wondering when the right time is to start thinking about accessibility the answer of course is now if there's pushback within your organization you're missing the opportunity to build a best in class product and remain competitive in just the same way that you wouldn't neglect things like being mobile friendly security or designing for privacy etc and of course living money on the table or bennett said it's never too early we say no to accessibility which means which sometimes might be said explicitly and other times it might be said implicitly through the technologies we design not being accessible you kind of deciding that a swath of humanity is not going to be able to use whatever you've developed and that to me should never be okay it doesn't make sense in business to exclude people that's what it is madipali said it's an opportunity rather than a problem is something that actually if it's baked to the very beginning and is seen as part of the workflow of building a product doesn't have to be of a different challenge 
yeah, when you talk about design criteria, uh, if you're building it for people, if you're thinking about the design um, is for all people, then you would automatically include everyone's needs in, and factor that in into the design. Or the, what he says here, it's not doesn't have to be of a different challenge. And that's, that's what it is. It's the same challenge if you want to access from the first floor to the fifth floor. It is to include everyone or is for communication. Uh, when you have all the um, uh, um, medium of communication sorted out for everyone. So it's, it's still to do with communicating. It's just some features are added or some things are enhanced or there are choices to be made. So, so really um, what Muddy Polly said is true. Um, he also uh, continued with, it's really important for founders to not see this as a problem to be solved, that this can be something that's part of making our product a service kind of usable by our customers and delivering a greater, a great customer experience and, and, again, and again, at a, a fundamental level, a startup can only survive by building a product that customers like and I was I would see making sure the product is accessible is central to that in the first place. <coughs> so <coughs> inevitably, excuse me, there would veer to this topic of nothing about us without us. Okay, that phrase that you may have heard, nothing about us without us. So the need to involve disabled people in the design process, both both as internal employees, but also externally, was a recurrent, recurrent theme of our discussion. Nothing about us without us is a political slogan used historically by the disability rights movement and its simplicity acts as a useful reminder of the importance of co-design. Well, this is something that is, interests me a lot, even in, in teaching architecture, collaboration, co-design or collaborative design. Something to do with a collaboration. And, and it says here, while the aim of accessibility is simple, in practice, designing for accessibility is nuanced and can often be imperfect. Luckily, the, the saying about the panelists shared a number of practical tip, tips such as using flexible language or feature or disability aid specific when recruiting for user testing. So Mill said that nothing about us without us is like the century-old political slogan that was taken up by disability activists in the 80s and 90s. And if you think about that phrase, initially the goal behind it was inclusion and self-representation. So like wrenching discourse about disability away from rehabilitation specialists who weren't disabled and centering disabled people in discussions of disability. So Bennett says that part of bringing everyone to the table is recognizing that we all come to the table with histories. And it's likely that when we work with people, they've probably tried to solve the problem that we think they have in many different ways. And so sometimes that is amplifying a solution or sometimes it's recognizing that there might not be a solution. But we're here to listen and design can be a kind of an amplifier 
of this tension a conflict that is probably unsolvable, but that we can kind of chip away. People with disabilities need to be in all positions of power in these processes. They're both people on the inside, but you know, also people who can give that fresh perspective from those of us who might be on the inside and remember kind of outsider or more diverse perspectives. As a disabled person, Bennett says that he, um, she's proud of that identity, but not everyone who experiences discrimination based on the way their body or their mind works uses that language. So often when she tried to talk to folks, she used terms like chronic illness or impairment or mental health condition or the deaf community. And so she has to educate herself and still learning about different words that people use. So when you look to reach out to folks, she sometimes specified type of interaction that she's looking for. So example, you might recruit a blind person to be part of the design process with you, with a designer, when really maybe what you're looking for is people who use screen readers or people who use braille or people who use magnification. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, not necessarily all blind people uses all of these things, you know, specific people use specific things. Being specific about the interaction technique or accessibility feature can help you make sure you get the more specific group that you're looking for. Yeah, it's very important with designers to do this. Somadi Pali said it's really important to make sure disabled people are at the table in that decision-making process from the more kind of entrepreneurial or the industry perspective. It also just make, makes really good sense to make sure that people that you are building solutions for help you co-create those solutions in the first place, just as a fundamental efficiency. If you're trying to make your product better for disabled people, you can do that so much better if disabled people are helping you build that in the first place. Many of us are in the physical access advocacy um, who are not built environment professionals. I want to be included in the processes like access audit um, and design process and want to give our input to make it better. So the facilitation of that, the inclusion of that, um, creating that, um, uh, bringing them to the table, meaning bringing them equally on, on par uh, facilitating is one of the most important things to manage t uh, the input or the interaction that one could give to the table to build the best solution. So it's, it's similar in physical accessibility as it is in digital accessibility here. So um, this is the last part of the article, um, which asks the question, how do companies avoid paying lip service to accessibility? So talk is cheap. So how do we avoid just paying lip service to accessibility? The answer is deceptively simple. Have accessibility to be non-negotiable from the top down. That includes resourcing accessibility efforts properly and incorporating it into performance reviews 
wow, if that's a really good one, it can be done. And by doing this from the get-go, you have the opportunity to build an inclusive design and company culture that can scale and will last. So Bennett mentioned that by putting material commitments and money toward this, having accessibility to be non-negotiable from the top down. I've talked about kind of incorporating it into performance reviews, like when people are being great allies and are, and are incorporating accessibility, that should count and there should be consequences when that's not happening. So I'm really into like putting the power and the money and having consequences when it's not happening. And Mandapali said, there are decisions that can be implemented from the get-go that does create a more inclusive culture from the beginning. In a way, it's a cultural thing. Management is a cultural thing. And when you do have that buy-in from the very top, from the beginning, it doesn't have to be the afterthought. And if it is there from the beginning, hopefully that is embedded. And as the company organization scales, this is just something that's ingrained into the organization. So this uh, article and this conversation that I've been reading to you and also interjecting sometimes is 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 a very good um, uh, introspective um, kind of like saying the important things when we're dealing with this topic, and um, it's a very useful article for us. So um, in that sense, we. Uh, I think that you should. This should be one of the articles that a lot of people should read at this time in this age. And it's relevant for both digital architecture and also physical. Um, this is digital uh, accessibility and also physical accessibility. So, with that in mind, I thank you so much for listening in, and that concludes the part two of architecture and disability design thinking ideas. Uh, Hope to see you again for the next podcast. Take care.